And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. I'm your host, Cliff Waldman, for this series on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are a weekly show that is digging deeply into um, America's manufacturing sector, looking at the headlines, looking at changes. We do pay attention to the big stories, economically and politically. They matter a great deal to U.S. manufacturing performance, but we're deeper than that on this show. We have had some outstanding guests who have helped us the, help us to start the difficult process of understanding the structural dynamics, the big changes at this time of technological and geopolitical disruption. The key here is new, new markets, new technologies, new economic thinking. We're going to help our listeners to understand how all of these big things are going to contribute to a new manufacturing story. Our guests are the best in the business. We have top economists top scientists, prolific authors, the best analysts, and today is no exception. This is the third show in which I have taken the big themes of global and technological change and brought them down to key industry levels. We've looked at chemicals with Kevin Swift. We look at steel with Tim Gill. Today, we are going to look at an industry that produces a product that probably more than anything else is tied up with the American psyche. It's more than a product. It's called cars, and it's a part of us. It's our culture. It determines how we live, where we live, even to some extent about how we feel about ourselves. And joining me today is a top auto analyst with whom I had the pleasure of being on a, um, a webinar for NABE when we discussed the general manufacturing outlook a little while back. The gentleman's name is Haig Stoddard, and he has followed the auto industry for three decades. Quite a history he has followed. He started as a reporter for Wards, and he has transitioned to auto, uh, automotive market analyst. He spent most of his career at Wards, with stints along the way at Global Insight, Insight forecasting North American vehicle production, and as a vehicle market analyst at General Motors and Dana Corporation. Since returning to Wards, he has served as the company's lead in-house analyst, overseeing several of the information providers' data products and tools, including its Wards Intelligence North American vehicle production and sales forecast. Haig, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Cliff, and I'm very glad you were able to have me. Let, let me ask you this. I'm going to start in the same way that I did when we talked about chemicals and we talked about steel, because we, we are at a very interesting, perhaps an inflection point with the manufacturing sector. Overall, the U.S. manufacturing sector has struggled. It struggled to recover from the Great Recession. Manufacturing growth did pick up in 2017 and 2018, but amazingly, output still remains below the pre-recession December 2007 peak. Really, that's a, that's a testament to how deep that downturn was. Let me ask you, what is the recovery and growth situation in the auto sector? 
well, the auto sector in the in the United States, as far as you know, just looking at vehicle production itself, actually, you know, did follow what you just what you just described, the same pattern. It has not reached its pre-2000 levels, although it has been growing rather significantly the last few years. And due to some, you know, changes in the manufacturing footprint to adjust for new shifts in demand, also that a lot of the investment that we have seen in the auto sector and capacity has been happening in the southern U.S. as well as Mexico, but largely at the expense of Canada, where they haven't been getting any new investment. Uh, we're seeing a lot, we're going to see a lot more growth in the United States on the automotive side. As long as we, the economy stays healthy and we stay at a relatively high sales level that we're at now, we've been running at about a 17, 17 or more million sales a year in the U.S. for the last four years. We're probably going to be a little bit below that this year, but as long as we stay at a 16 and a half or higher, we actually see production in the U.S. growing at least for the next two or three years. And if we can avoid that, you know, that R word, or at least not have a severe decline right. of any sort, we might actually reach, although at, at a very gradual and long-term rate, might reach one of those, uh, get close to those pre-recession peaks again. Autos are very cycle-sensitive, are they? I mean, when the economy turns down, auto sales turn down? Yes. Yes, they're, they're pretty much, they pretty much follow the economy on, on the whole, just like most other industries do. But in this sense, you know, what's somewhat happening here, which is a little different, is the auto industry, as far as uh, demand, actually grew a, a lot faster than a lot of other industries did as we came out of the recession. There was a lot of pent-up demand created in the recession. So the curve kind of got ahead of the rest of the market. So even though we 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 suddenly had this 3%, almost 3% GDP growth last year, GDP growth last year and we're doing looks like we're going to do 2.5 this year. Sales are really on the backside of uh of the peak that we got to in 2016. Let me ask you a somewhat longer-term question. In in the years to come, do you see autos as being a growth leader, a growth catalyst for the overall manufacturing sector? No, my short answer to that is no, even though I we think that production could actually grow a little bit but not much. Uh, on the whole, no, and the reason for that is I think the U.S. market – uh, and the North American market on the whole, except for maybe Mexico, which the U.S. manufacturing base pretty much supplies, is a mature market. And we think there's a lot of uh, demographic and other headwinds, uh, uh, you know, like rising rising prices due to more electrification and and technological improvements in vehicles. Um, demographics and, and other reasons that I don't think this is going to be a growth market. And therefore, I, I don't really see the manufacturing sector being a growth catalyst in that sense. There there will still be opportunity to make money, but no, it's not going to be a growth catalyst in the sense that we're going to see huge gains in, in vehicle or parts production in the auto sector. You mentioned demographics. Let me jump on that a little bit. There, there, there are interesting questions about the millennials, and particularly about where they're living, whether they're going to stay in city centers or um, move out to the suburbs. I would imagine that that, that that 
question mark is really of great importance for auto demand. Yeah, it, it is to a large extent, especially if if we do end up moving a little faster than we expect, to say, into this autonomous age, and mobility starts to pick up even faster. You know, living in urban areas would kind of reduce the need to, to buy a new vehicle. Um, but I I think the thought is, and, and, and I kind of go for it, is that I think as millennials get older and life starts to really kick in, yeah. Uh, and they decide to have a kid and so forth and other things. And maybe living in a loft and downtown suddenly when you get to be 35 or 40 just doesn't seem cool. I think there is going to be a, a movement more back out to the suburbs in the long run. So the, I think a lot of them will be buying vehicles. It may be that a lot of them delay their first purchase until until they're older. But but on the whole, I think that will still be a driver. I, overall, I think the demographics, even though I – you know, we've seen things for years like, you know, household formation slowing, fewer people per family, those kinds of things. The demographics, thanks to population growth, which is still there even though growth on that end is slow too, the demographics still say we could have 16, 17 million years in decent economies for several years. So we can still be at high levels. It's just I don't think it's going to be at a – we're just not going to be a, at a in in a growth a huge growth mode again. Well, let let's talk interesting segue into the next question. Let's let's talk about perhaps the coolness of vehicles. There has been much discussion about product innovation in autos. Let me ask you what what's two, two two questions in particular. What is the current status of electric cars and Maybe a little more out there. What is the current status of autonomous vehicles? I guess current current status of electric cars. If you're just talking about the state of the market today, is there still, you know, only count for about two percent of sales, and a lot of that is in the premium priced uh, sector. And frankly, a lot of that is coming from back orders of the Tesla Model Three uh, right now. But in, in, as far as what does it look like for the future? In the U.S. market, it's still, I would say, it's still, it's probably going to happen, but the question is when, and the when is starting to look more and more like it might be in the 2030s or 2040s, as far as it, it really catches on and starts to take over. It's happening faster in other parts of the world, like Europe and China, but here there's not, I think it's going to take government, more government mandates to uh, really push it over the edge. So there isn't, you know, there isn't any, there isn't a lot of demand out there for them right now. There's interest, but unless you're, you know, somebody who's interested in, in the uh, the fun of buying a Tesla and you have the money to do it, you're probably not going to buy it. And you know, there's a myriad of other issues that go into, you know, whether electrification is going, how soon it will take off. And the same thing is probably true for autonomy. We are going to see some significance. In in penetration, in the sense that the more urban areas and controlled settings are going to be using that, and we're going to see an increase in that over the next three or four years, even. And there's a lot of investment into elect into autonomy as well as electrification. So it kind of indicates someday it will happen. I my thought is ten years from now we'll start to see 
a significant acceleration as the technology, you know, gets better and more affordable. And, and we'll see an acceleration, but it probably isn't going to really start taking off until the you know, third twenty thirties or forties, or maybe twenty fifty. Let's go to the other kind of innovation that I, I necessarily have to talk about every show because it's such a part of the life of modern manufacturing. New process technologies are really driving, uh, if you pardon the pun, the manufacturing story um, in these years. And the auto sector is certainly no exception, as it is thought. And you can tell me if this is right or wrong to be one of the most automated in manufacturing. In your judgment, where are we in the auto process innovation curve? Are we just climbing? To, are we just at the outset of a big change in um, uh, auto manufacturing processes, or have we reached a kind of plateau? Where are we in, in, in that um, process development? Well, see, first, it's not it's not something that I look at, drill down to real closely, but I would say my sense is yes. As far as the current state, you know, the the factory floor is largely automated. There's a lot of robots, uh, et cetera, and artificial intelligence is starting to make its way into that into that arena at some point. On the other hand, it's it's really hard for automakers on the factory floor to take leaps ahead at one time uh, on technology and bringing in more robots and so forth because until a plant is uh, going through a, the product that a plant is building is going through like a major overhaul, major out refreshing, or a plant is uh, bringing in an all-new all vehicle to build, uh, replacing the current one, which is when they typically take a plant down and they do all the retooling and so forth. You, you're not necessarily, and that, that means, depending on the vehicle, like that happens every four to seven years. In that sense, it's, the auto industry is kind of slow to take on these things because they, because you can't just do things uh, when you want to as far as bringing in new technology and upgrading them. On the other hand, and I think you you you, just, you kind of alluded to it. I I would say yes, they are on a the I, my sense is they are on a, on a cusp of making some big steps forward. There's a because there's a lot of investment going into. A lot of the the byproduct of of getting in investing in electric vehicles and autonomous and so forth is also trying to figure out how to how to build things quality quality parts and so forth, but for less money. Where to cut costs? Where can you cut costs without um, you know without uh, hurting quality? And that also means taking a lot of the human aspect out of there. I think. Especially uh, in the next few years, there's going to be a big, a big, a lot of pressure to cut take costs out of the system because the price of vehicles is going to keep going up, and and a lot of the technology that's going into them is going to put more pricing pressure on them and so forth. So I I think yeah going forward I think it's actually going to accelerate in the auto industry as far as bringing in new processes. And, and and there'll be opportunity there for third parties to come in if they have solutions, technologies, or software, or even services to uh, to serve that uh, serve that part of the industry. Well, with innovation and disruption at least in the air, 
it would seem to me that we should expect to see new players in the oil market. Now, let me ask a basic microeconomics question. Is market concentration in auto manufacturing prohibitive of healthy marketing, market-disrupting entrepreneurship, or do we, do we have the entrepreneurship that we need in autos? I get, you know, my I guess my thought is it it probably is prohibitive. I don't I don't think you as far as automakers, I don't think you actually are going to see a lot of new players. There are a lot of these startups coming in that are going to try to come into the electric vehicle market and so forth. Probably a lot of them are not going to survive in the long run, or they're if if they're really doing something. Uh, good, they'll probably get absorbed in one way or another by the bigger automakers, although obviously Tesla has bucked that trend. But I would say it is prohibitive. I, you still need to have somewhat of a, if, I, if I'm understanding your question right, you still need to have some certain amount of economies of scale in the long run, yep. which yep. I think a new manufacturer is not going to do, be able to do. Um, the market itself is saturated with players. We actually, you could actually argue that, and I think there will be, whether whether we have a severe downturn or not, there is going to be some consolidation in this market in the next 10 years or so. So, I, I, I mean, overall, yes, I think for an automaker, you're not going to see a lot of entrepreneurship as far as new companies coming in with great new ideas and, and taking over. You know, if you wanted to end the supplier end, then that I think that I think the opposite is true, because of all the new new processes that you mentioned coming on, uh, the, all the investment going into a higher technology, um, electrification, autonomous, ADAS, all that stuff. I I think there's opportunity there for suppliers for new people to come in and push out a lot of the traditional right now. Interesting. I, I was going to ask about the supply chain, and I, I, I take it that the, the the auto supply chain is is you know is, is ripe and and probably in the middle of some interesting disruptions. Yes, I I think it I think it's not you know there's not a lot of disruption happening in the moment, but I would say there's certainly a lot of nervousness among probably some of the mm-hmm. traditional okay. suppliers that are that are supplying the 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 traditional vehicle with an internal combustion engine and a transmission and, you know, hydraulic steering and things like that, that, you know, all the money, not all the money, there's still money going into, you know, trying to make internal combustion engines better and more fuel efficient and so forth. It's, there's not really necessarily like a dearth going there, but investment is moving to that, to the new the new age if it's coming and that's going to mean you know battery powered vehicles without transmission and engines um electric motors rather than you know hydraulic uh, valves and things like that uh so i think there's a lot of nervousness in there and i definitely there's a lot of opportunity for somebody who comes up with the right idea the right product even the right service uh, the way things are going, or if you can even help on the manufacturing floor, come up with a better way to make something less expensive, smaller, lighter parts that still perform the option. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some di- disruption that's going to happen on that end. Well, given all that, I, I very naturally have to ask you about the human capital picture 
in the, the current auto manufacturing workforce. Is Give our listeners a picture of the um, U.S. auto manufacturing workforce. Is this a primarily educated labor force? Would you say that we talk about a skills gap every day in manufacturing? Is there a skills or education gap currently in auto manufacturing? Do you mean do you mean right like right on the factory floor, so to speak? Let, let, let's get let's start on the factory floor. I mean, do we have in terms of the workforce in the auto sector? Would you say that we have what we need in terms of workers on the factory floor in this industry? Yeah, I would say yeah. Generally speaking, I think as far as as the workers on the floor, the the skills are there. And you probably have enough of the enough people that can fill the demand there. I I think really that from what I understand, and again I don't, it's not something that I specialize in looking at, but I think it's just still it's the engineering ranks where there's still a dearth of a, not a dearth, but a, but where there's there's a lack of a. A lack of people, a lack of qualified people, or a lack of want—people wanting to have those jobs. I'm, on the manufacturing side, I think for the most part, except when it comes maybe to engineering, engineering and designing uh, the tooling aspects of things for producing new vehicles and so forth. Um, I think there's—I think they're fine uh, on the skill side. Well, from a competitive point of view, that's a little worrisome. That I mean, if we're struggling with filling engineers in the auto industry, that, that might mean that the interesting innovations, the market-enhancing innovations, may not come in the U.S., may come in, in, in other parts of the world. Do you think that's something to be concerned about? Uh, yeah, I would say it's true, and that that is something to be concerned about. And I would say the, you know, the thing to look on, to, add, to really put into it is, What's really hurting is is a lot of the engineers or people who are qualified to deal with a lot of this advanced technology, including artificial intelligence. Right. That's where they really there's really a lack there. As a matter of fact, we might get it to a point where somebody who is a mechanical engineer or someone who's been working on powertrain technology and so forth for 20 years might start worrying that they're going to lose their job because because a lot of the investment and so forth is going into that more technological software artificial intelligence side but that actually right now you can go into a job in artificial intelligence now if you have the know-how and make a half a million dollars because there's they are really hurting on that end in the automotive industry they're look they're out and even I think almost beating behind the scenes beating the Beating the pounding the pavement more for those kind of people than even just the uh, the the engineers that are the traditional type engineers that we see at the auto companies. Even though, even in that end, they're they're at the moment they're lacking too on on uh, people. Well, let let me sort of conclude. We will we are going to come back to these issues in a very big way in, in subsequent shows because they, they, they're critical ones for autos, but really critical ones for U.S. manufacturing competitiveness. But for right now, let me ask about demographics because everybody is starting to realize that demographics is no longer an academic subject, that demographic turns are happening 
around the world, certainly the advanced countries, and even in uh, in large developing markets. Now, let, let let me ask, obviously, about the U.S. We're going to start on an age curve. Birth rates and fertilities are starting to drop. Immigration is starting to become an issue, and will become an issue as per the labor force. So, I mean, with aging populations in the advanced world and in many developing countries with fertility rates and birth rates notably falling, all that over the long term has to impinge upon auto demand, does it not? And, and, and through, through, the, through the impact of, of those demographic variables on household formations has, has, to be a real, has to be a very long-term negative for the demand for autos, or am I, or am, or am I incorrect? I don't think it's at least in the you know in the next ten years or more. It's not going to be a negative impact. It's okay. just going to go back to what I say, where I don't. We're not going to see growth in the industry, in ter- and on a volume basis. Um, I did, did that demographics even looking at household formation, and and even when you look at uh, the number of drivers, percent of a driving age population that has licenses and and other things you look at uh car cars per person i kind of sort of it still points that we could still we should still be able to have 16 17 million years in the industry and that would be historically speaking those would be very healthy volume years that should go on for for several years uh we should be able to do that but there are going to be other things kicking in that could could hurt that even more like longer lasting vehicles you know how soon is is mobility at some point really going to kick in and get people to buy fewer cars that kind of stuff i think at some point your what you're saying is probably will kick in i just don't i don't think it'll be say in the next 10 to 20 years or so it'll be it's just going to keep the industry from being considered a growth a growth industry Hey, Stoddard, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, was my pleasure. Listeners, we hit upon a number of key issues today, and I'm so glad that Haig and I were um, able to, to at least start the conversation on engineers. In listening to these industry specifics, you hit upon issues like that that are can be magnified for the future of the U.S. manufacturing sector. Demographics are, it may not be now, but 10 years from now, that's really not that long. We're going to explore these. We're going to explore other issues, and we're going to do it sometimes at the top level, sometimes in the industry level, sometimes on the regional level. We will come back to autos. It's a big topic for U.S. manufacturing and the U.S. economy. Right now, this is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.